0: Welcome to the Forest Lakes District EFCA podcast. The FLD's focus is to connect, equip, and multiply leaders in fulfillment of our vision to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. In today's podcast, we hear from Jolene Philo on how to become a special needs ministry master chef. This workshop shows volunteers and staff how to lead a special needs ministry in your church. This session was recorded at the FLD Spring Leaders Conference in 2022.
1: So uh, we are going to talk today about how to become a special needs ministry master chef, but I want to let you know a little bit about me first so you get the I, you know, why am I here and what am I talking about and where did I come from? Um, I... uh, was a teacher for 25 years and had a minor in uh, dis, well, back in the day, it was called learning disabilities. That's when the whole stuff just started. I was in college when the federal law first passed. So I was kind of in college when they were scrambling to pick courses to train teachers. So I have a minor in that, I taught for 25 years uh, at a ranch for juvenile delinquent boys in a country school, and that was all out in South Dakota. Then we moved to Iowa. I coordinated the talented and gifted program in Boone, Iowa for five years. Then I went back to teaching third grade and fourth grade and integrated a lot of kids with IEPs and a variety of behavioral or physical disabilities within my classroom. Usually, in a typical year, about a third of my students had some kind of an IEP or a 504 plan, and I worked a lot with the special ed teachers then too. In 2003, I left teaching because I had an opportunity to work part-time in a church that was just being started. And I was the director of discipleship and assimilation, which basically means, and you all know this, I did everything except what the senior pastor did and the youth leader did. (laughs) So I was kind of in charge of all of that. I did that part-time for five years and also started working on writing and speaking. And um, then after about four or five years of that, I was able to start writing. Full time uh, I did not know when I started writing that I would be <clears throat> mainly writing about disabilities and special needs because it just kind of came about. I, my dad had multiple sclerosis the entire time I was growing up. I can't remember him walking, and he lived, uh, he was diagnosed in 1959 and died in 1997 and was in a wheelchair most of that time, last 14 years in a nursing home. So we grew up caring for him in our home. Then my husband and I, when we had moved out to South Dakota after college, our first child was born with what's called a tracheal esophageal fistula. So it came down and formed a blind pouch from his mouth and came up from his stomach and hooked into his trachea. So he had to have a lot of surgeries for about five years. Um, He had seven surgeries by the time he was four or five, and then another at age 15. Other than that, physically and everything, he did very well. We moved from South Dakota to Iowa when he was about three. That's when the sleep deprivation wore off, and we realized maybe we should be closer to hospitals with a kid like ours. Because <coughs> it was a 240 round t- mile round trip to Rapid City, where it was a regional hospital that could kind of help him, and then 750 miles to the University of Nebraska in Omaha, where he had a lot of his work done. So um, that's kind of my background. And what happened was when I started writing and speaking, it was always the special needs and disability stuff that people wanted articles about because I had kind of some both training and personal experience that was quite different. Well, fast forward to about two years ago, shortly before the pandemic began, And by that time, I was working with some other people in Central Iowa who, and we ran a camp for special needs families, the whole family, a weekend camp, uh, where they could come and the parents could, you know, heard a speaker and the kids with disabilities had buddies and the siblings got to, and everybody got to do everything, ride horses, go in the pool and everything. And um, a friend of mine said, you know what? We need to start getting this out into our denomination. We have people who can do stuff. Well, she happened to know Kevin Copland, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, who's the um, president of the e denomination now. I think she went to high school with him or something, knew him personally. So she contacted him and some of us who ran the camp went up and met with him and a few other people at Central District Headquarters and said, you know, your All People's initiative is great and we love it, and you have a great video that you show, and it includes All People's, but there's nobody with disabilities in it. And we're, that's a huge people group. It's the largest unchurched people group in the United States because people have so much trouble getting to, to church. So we started meeting with Ben Johnson, who is part of the REACH Global Initiative, and we've been meeting for about two years. We put on some webinars, um, and we are now kind of getting out to the district conferences and letting them know, hey, we're here. We have people from all over the country on our committee who can come and talk at your district conferences. We are available to come to your churches and do trainings or consulting and provide you with resources that you need. So that's why I'm here today, to kind of get that process started. And feel free at any time, you can contact me via my my card that I gave you, that my email is there, if you're interested in some kind of a training. If you pick up one of the EFCA cards, that will get you, let me double check, that way you can um, out what i have here and if i don't have enough just stop up at the table and get one of them i don't have quite enough here but um so just stop up at my table up there i've got plenty more that gives more information about how to contact people within the denomination so that you can get the information you need and hopefully hook up with somebody that can provide training we also do webinars Um, we just did one in march We're tentatively planning to do another one in um, August, I think is what we're looking at, and then maybe another in October. And we do those online so that people from all over the country can come, and we usually bring in some people within our denomination who are doing special needs ministry, You know, who can talk about what's worked and what isn't. And maybe if some of you have an active ministry, that might be a good place for you to share your ideas we also will bring in somebody usually some sort of an expert either an author or um, maybe someone who's been doing some research they may or may not be from within our denomination or we might also bring in somebody another um, group or another uh, like parachurch organization that is doing special needs stuff and have them share a little bit just to try to again get more Information out, and there's time to go into breakout rooms for discussion. So, um, I'd encourage you uh, if, you've, if you've got your card in there or your email in there, I'll get you on the list. Unless you don't want me to, just let me know if you don't. But you know, then we can send out the registration information, and it's up to you to sign up or not. But those have proved to be really uh, helpful. So we're talking today, though, about how to become a special needs ministry master chef. And the master chef is from the book, Every Child Welcome, because it's kind of organized like you're having a dinner party. If you think of your, and this is from my co-author, Katie Weatherby. She's like so creative and funny. And she would tell you that, oh, I picked up the wrong thing, that when you have the clicker, you have the power because we were both former elementary teachers in the day when <laughs> they didn't give us clickers. <laughs> we, and we figured out the audio visual stuff on our own while the kids were throwing spitballs behind us. So this is so exciting to have a clicker. But anyway, um, she had the idea of let's set this up. It's like we're inviting people to a dinner party. So what do we do to prepare so everybody who's coming to our dinner party feels welcome and can participate fully. So, here are some things we're going to be learning about. Uh, we're going to be learning, we're going to talk about a definition for effective inclusion. We're going to discuss ways to create a comfortable environment for all learners and and even beyond learners, just all guests, people who come to our church. And though we're going to be talking more about kids type things now, these also, transfer, many of them, are are applicable for youth setting and for young adults and adults. Uh, we'll identify strategies for modifying curriculum, and this is very helpful, I think, for if you have volunteer teachers, because they tend to think that, boy, I just have to do it just right, and what's their, if they're volunteers, they maybe don't have a, a background in education, and their their background is when they were in school. and. When we were all in school, we thought, you know, everybody had to follow the law, with the rules, just like they were, and you can't, you just, and we have to keep doing it that way. Well, there are many other ways to do things, so this is a way for us to, for for us to equip those volunteers and give them permission to think outside the box and do things outside the box, so every child does feel welcome. And we were actually, especially me, having lived in South Dakota for seven years in a town of 92 people where all of the roads, including the state highway, were gravel. Um, These are, uh, that's kind of my mindset, so we need to have, even if there's just two Sunday school teachers and a child with some kind of a disability comes into your, your, your setting, even if you don't have a special needs program per se, you can welcome those kids and everybody and those families and make them feel like part of the group. And part of your family of God, so that's kind of our idea. How could we modify curriculum so they anybody could come and a volunteer can do it? Uh, List methods for in- increasing kids' attention and engagement in church and practice effective communication with parents. So we got a lot to do in a little time. So I'll talk mm-hmm. talk really fast. So here is a picture. So this is like you're going to have a dinner party, and you see how f- nice things look. So what are you going to do? So Aunt Sally who can't hear very well, can hear everybody. So Billy, who's left-handed, doesn't elbow somebody else. Or Grandma Fern, who um, doesn't have many teeth left, can eat the food. What are we going to do? It's the same kind of thing when we're welcoming families to church, because we don't want this to be the experience when somebody comes to church, that it's not appealing, it doesn't you know, and you're never going to want to come back if that's the impression you get when a family with special needs comes into your house. They're going to get burned. And we have to remember what inclusion is not. And this comes from my co-writer, Katie Weatherby, and I think this is so important. Inclusion is not a place. Okay, everybody who has a disability or special needs, you go to that room and they'll take care of you and we'll let you out when we're done. That's not what we want and it is not a program separate unto itself. It should be, a, a be, it might start as a program, but it should eventually infuse and seep into every other program into the, in the church so that everyone knows how to make people feel welcome. The youth program is going to infuse the children's program, the nursery, you know adult ministries worship time everything so everyone feels welcome so what is inclusion it's the body of christ it really is because the church is incomplete without the gifts of all if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it Now, each of you are the body of Christ, and each of you are part of it, and that doesn't say that each of you who can sit still and color between the lines is part of it. It doesn't say that everybody who can walk in on their own power is part of the body of Christ. It says everyone. And Jesus says the same thing when he talks to the children, the disciples. He says, let the children come to me, and that is unconditional. So it includes people with be, kids with behavior issues and mental illness and other invisible things, anxiety or autism or whatever it might be. Medically fragile. It includes the kids who maybe have a developmental level and adults who maybe their developmental level is age three. They are still part of the body of Christ. And if we look around our churches and we don't see any people with disabilities or special needs in our congregation, we are not the complete body of Christ and we have a lot of work to do. And one of the things a lot of us on our committee hear a lot of the time, well, we don't have any people with disabilities or special needs. Well, you haven't reached them yet, you can bet they're there. There are statistics now that 25% of the population is, has some sort of a disability. And if we aren't seeing them, we're missing the mark. And the other thing is that as we age, and I am aging, every one of us, maybe you aren't, but I'm getting up there, (laughs) when we age, we will become. We will have special needs and disabilities. They will become more prevalent. So anything we can do now to train our churches and equip our churches to welcome everyone is going to continue to welcome them as, as the people in our churches get older. And we want to keep that going. So we need to roll out the welcome mat to everyone who's coming. But how do we do it? OK, the first thing we need to do is consider our guest list. We have to think about who's coming. What needs do they have? How can I make each guest feel comfortable and how can I help my guests get to know each other and those questions work as well when we think about who's going to come into our churches and into our Sunday school program or a midweek program or a youth group or you know into the foyer before worship those are questions we need to be asking who's coming so maybe do some what needs do they have Are there families who have kids who are uh, sensory sensitive and the noise of the foyer upstairs is going to be really hard for them? You know, when everybody started gathering this morning, I was thinking, and it's an echoey space up there, I was thinking there are families where that would be really hard. In fact, I was kind of glad to go into the bathroom and escape it for a little bit. So what do we need? Could we have uh, headphones available for kids? I saw that they had earplugs for during the worship service. But if you've got a sensory-sensitive kid trying to cram those earplugs into them, it's not going to work. Are we going to have kids who fidget? Could we have fidget toys available so they can go in? Could we have a quiet space like we do for nursing mothers? Could we maybe have another space where some families could go if they need to? That would kind of be the last thing we want to do. But could we have that ready? What do we need so that families feel welcome and kids feel welcome? and then, of course, how can I help my guests get to know each other? That can be kind of difficult with families of kids who have special needs, because the parents are kind of hesitant to, to talk about it, because it's all they talk about all the time, and they live with it all the time. But what can we do so that people within the church will come and make them feel welcome and you know, offer to help them? OK, so one thing we can do. In answering those questions, is we can modify our spaces. So what do we need to do to modify our space? Here are things to look for. First of all, safety is very important. Is the room safe? You know, especially if you've got kids who sometimes the the politically correct word is elopement. You know we're there, the kids that will take off. What are you gonna need to do to make sure that they're safe? And then when their parents come to pick them up, the kids are gonna actually be there. It might mean you just if you know you've got some elopers, put some security people at your exits or outside your door. And it doesn't have to be someone specially trained. It could be just an older person who's willing to sit there, you know, and and read a book or a magazine and watch out for so and so. You watch your signage. How are you saying things? Uh, you know, if you people with disabilities enter here, that you've already just kind of put a target on their back you know, and defined them in a way that, that shouldn't be the first thing we're defining them by. So really, a good way to do it is just to say, quiet entrance. We've got a quiet entrance here. And that makes it, uh, it's kind of a universal design. Because maybe that quiet entrance would also be helpful for older people who are hard of hearing. And their, um, their hearing aids pick up everything. So maybe coming in that way would be better for them. And, and then you can let families know this is a quieter way. You can come in. You can get your classroom this way. And, and you, you can avoid the crowds or whatever you need. So watch your signage. Watch your clutter, especially when you get into the classrooms. Now, this one is pretty clutter-free, isn't it? And I think it is a kid's room. But we tend to fill our spaces. When we're working with kids and we put tons of bright colors on the wall and for kids who have sensory issues that can just be they're just overwhelmed walking through the door so watch your clutter watch your colors you might have to just put some things away and just bring up what you need for that week might be a little more work but if you can do that it's very helpful watch your room size now this can be a a thing because if you have some families that have maybe some kids in wheelchairs or you just need to be able to spread the kids um, out a little bit because of some behavior issues, that might mean switching up the rooms. (laughs) And you know, that means switching up the signage, and there's a lot, but if we want to welcome people and if we want to have room for those kids in, in wheelchairs or that need a little more space, we can look at switching the rooms so they fit the crowd that's going to be in there that shouldn't be a big issue however when i worked for our church one of the things that that they we weren't meeting in a high school as many do and um they and then we moved into our own building and they were talking about what would happen if our if we had too many if the church grew, and there wasn't room for all of the Sunday school classes for the adults. And the thought was, well, the kids were used to meeting in kind of in foyer and open areas for Sunday school when we were in the high school, and the only and we had to do it that way because the only other rooms we had access were to were like biology and chemistry rooms, and we didn't want the kids in there. Yeah, it was just not going to be good. So the thought was, well, the kids are used to meeting in the foyer, so we'll move them back out into the foyer. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, we're the grown-ups, we can meet in the foyer in the open spaces because we have better attention spans and we can meet there, the kids get to stay where the kids are. But you hit that kind of thinking all the time. So you just, and we kind of have to be the ones that advocate for the kids. So watch the room size, watch for those escape routes. We talked about that a little bit. And then you need to kind of think through what if, what would we do if, um, you know, these children that we, and you know the kids you have and the needs they have, what if they started doing this? Or what if this situation came up? And you kind of have to think through those so that you're ready for modifying your space. And what if somebody new comes? What are we going to do? when a new family comes that has kids with disabilities. So kind of think the, those things through ahead of time so you're proactive. OK, so here are some things we can do to be more welcoming and safer, because always safety is the issue. Uh, you can have greeters. Just train some greeters to be looking for families that maybe have a child that has a visible disability Or, you know, you kind of, they have their antennae up that maybe they wonder, there's a child with an invisible disability, we might want to think, you know, if you've got a lot of kids, if you've got some kids that don't make eye contact very well and kind of have some little ticks or, you know, just just anything that might indicate, huh, I wonder if we've got a, a divergent learner here that we and I want to make sure make them feel welcome and find out from the parents where would we go to Sunday school and get, and have stealth greeters too. So train your regular greeters but train people within your congregation to be watching and welcoming of other people. Uh, parking lot attendance, if your church is big enough for that, make sure the parking lot attendance if they see a family that um, and it doesn't have to be just a family with disabilities, but if you got a family with eight or nine kids streaming out of the van you might tell them why don't you come park up here where it's a little easier for you to get in you know if a family would come with triplets and they've got all the cart just be nice and give them the I I always uh, my husband and I always talk about that where if you park to we park to the back and we have our um, competitions of which of us is going to be holier (laughs) Because we park further away from the church for the good of all, (laughs) but you know you can train your your uh, congregation to do that too. Just kind of park further away so these families that maybe have a harder time getting into the church can. Um, And then ushers make sure that they know what's available. If you have your phones, or if you have fidget toys, or uh, if if they have someone in a wheelchair with a mobility issue of Walker whatever maybe help them and this is one that um, I, I like I would like to see adopted more often even the people if you have if you set up your worship center with chairs you know that come down and go up instead of having all the people with mobility devices whether it's a wheelchair or scooter or whatever having them in the last row because then you can just put the wheelchairs in. And my dad always sat in the last row, behind the last row because there was nowhere else. I was just at a funeral in my home church this, this um, past weekend. And they have taken on both sides in the middle of the sanctuary. They've cut down some pews so that wheelchairs can go in the middle instead of always being in the back. Can't we do that if we set up chairs in our worship area? Just leave a few free so that you know, ushers can take people up into the, the center of the congregation so they don't always feel like they're on the outskirts? That, that's a powerful message. That would have been a powerful message for my family growing up. Um, you might also talk to the music leaders. This can be another one. Maybe there's going to be one service where the volume is down. And they don't run the smoke machine for people with allergies and sensory issues that can and maybe not all the lights either the flashing lights can be an issue but you could certainly if you're a big enough church to have numerous services name one you know and fragrance free I've heard of churches that do that too you know let's just have this one be a sensory sensitive service that can be a hard one too get across to, to some leaders too, but you just have to keep reaching it. Um, you might wanna make sure, if you know you've got some medically fragile people within your congregation, children especially, uh, or maybe some children that have epilepsy or some other issues or heart problem or whatever, and this again, this is universal design that's good for everybody, maybe talk to medical people who attend your church and see if you could work out a schedule for, so that there's somebody with medical training at every service whether it's a doctor or a nurse or uh, an emt or a paramedic so that if an emergency happens you've got people there who can help out and that i can tell you as the parent of a child who was very medically fragile that would have eased my concerns a lot to know okay if something happens we're good the camp i help with we have a doctor there all weekend And you know who's needed it? The volunteers that serve. They've had to, we've had a couple times where they've had to go uh, and be taken to the hospital. None of the kids with disabilities yet. And then um, have the security. We talked about people, you know, manning the exits or whatever. You might need to um, train some people to do that. And then just other helpers. And these can be helpers that um, just, it could be kids who are prepared, trained to be peer buddies, age buddies. It could be middle schoolers or high schoolers in the youth program that would be willing to go through some training and serve as a buddy. And you know what, a lot of kids like that. And a lot of schools, as the kids get into high school, they have to have service hours to graduate. And you know, churches can work with the school and I filled out some of those. You just have to fill a form out and send it back. It's pretty easy. And if that gets you some volunteers, great. Um, In a neighborhood near you, there are houses like this, full of people who maybe would want to go to church and look here, there's two churches right down down the way. But there's also barriers that keep parents and families from bringing their kids to church. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit. Parents often fear being judged within the Christian community, especially if their kids have behavior issues or mental health needs. It's probably because of bad parenting, right? (laughs) As the parent of a kid who had post-traumatic stress disorder caused by much early surgery, and we didn't know at the time, when he had his surgery in 1982 newborns weren't even given pain medication when they had surgery because they thought they didn't feel pain that's been disproven and all that's changed but but he had yeah he had a paralytic drug to hold him still while he had major surgery so he developed PTSD and i'm sure and i'm sure there were people that thought we had failed as parents well, you know, the opposite is probably true. Had we not been his parents and, and provided the structure he needed, he would have been a lot, had a lot more issues than he did. He's gone through treatment and is doing very well now. Um, but, you know, we face those barriers and Christians can sometimes be the most judgmental of, of, uh, of how parents are raising their kids. And we, they become tired of having to manage their kids' behavior and explain it to people in new situations because everybody's curious and sometimes you know the nicest thing we can do is just give them some grace and just let them settle in and eventually they'll tell you but it's hard to have to explain all that and social isolation is often the norm families affected by hidden disabilities are less likely to be invited to church much less come themselves you know how they talked this morning about how the isolation caused by the pandemic if you've worked in special needs and disability ministry at all you know that that has always been the case for those families they were the ones that kind of did better in the pandemic often because they'd already figured out how to get through it and it doesn't end for them you know we're all coming out and getting out more it still is hard for a family with kids who have disabilities to get out as it was before and during the pandemic. And then there's a lot of stress, economic strain because there's a lot of therapy and just uh, expenses. And then fatigue. So many parents of kids with special needs don't get enough sleep because their kids don't sleep. And so like they're going to stay home on Sunday morning because we I don't have to get the kids dressed. I don't have to pack everything up. But, So there's a lot that's keeping parents from coming to church. And then if they go to the church, and it's kind of like that burnt turkey when they get there, how long is it going to be before they try again? So we need to do all we can to help them, to help take down these barriers and welcome them. So what do parents bring to the table? Well, they bring a lot of these things denial anger despair bargaining and acceptance do you know what those are the stages of those are the stages of grief parents bring a lot of grief because they've lost you know when they're expecting that child you you picture what it's going to be like and they lose that dream and it's a long process to get to where I'm gonna accept this is this is what we were given and it's good and i can accept it and then because they're continually living in it there's no closure for many of these families whether their child is 10 or 25 or 30 they go through these stages over and over again so we need to be sensitive to that we also need to be really careful this is katie weatherby's uh her kids are all grown and married now but this is her son her husband and her daughter being hear no evil, uh, see no evil, speak no evil. We really need to be careful when we are in our churches about what we say about our families of kids with disabilities and special needs. We're hoping to start a disability and special needs podcast within the E-Free Church, probably not till fall or winter. But one of our things that we want to talk about is to get somebody in to talk about uh, the HIPAA privacy Which really applies for us in churches, especially if we have kids with medical issues. So what are we going to do to protect privacy of the children, of the families, and yet meet their needs? Boy, that's a hard one. But the one thing we can make sure we don't do is allow any of the holy gossip. Oh, bless their heart, did you see so-and-so, how that child was acting? Oh, it must be so hard. We can shut that down pretty quickly, and we need to. Okay. Uh, We need to listen between the lines, too. Katie tells a story of she used to consult with families and help get ready for IEPs. And so she had asked this mother to bring her information about what she'd done with her child in the past. And she got it to her on a Friday. And she called her Friday night, have you looked at it yet? And Katie said, no, I haven't had time. She called her again Saturday, have you looked at it yet? No, I've got a busy weekend but I promise I'll get it looked over before we go to our meeting before I called her on Sunday afternoon called her on Monday and Katie was starting to get a little tipped and finally the mom said I know I'm bothering you and I know I'm being a little bit of a pest here but I just wanted you to know how hard I've been working and those and parents are like that they just they need a little affirmation from us of how we can see that you have been working and you're dealing with a lot, and we admire what you're doing. So, listen between the lines. What is it the parents are really saying to you with whatever it is they're saying to you? What do they really mean? Okay, Not, another thing we need to do is build relationships with parents and with kids and with families in general so here are some things we can do within uh, whether whether you're teaching a sunday school class you're leading the special needs ministry leading children's ministry Um, you could encourage kids to have a class newspaper oh and and in this day you could also make it you know something on a little video they they put together um just of what we do this week or what have we done this month the younger the kids are the closer it has to be to that day and you can it can be written by or read by the students or whatever and for some of the kids in who have communication issues this can be really helpful for the parents to see what's going on you could do a news report on video send emails as the te- teacher or text you know whatever the, the parents want uh, phone calls always help especially if you can call and say did you know that that uh, Letitia today actually went and did a puzzle with another And if if you knew that that was something unusual for them, that's really going to warm a parent's heart. You could have a Facebook group, a private Facebook group, and share ideas and get to know each other on that. And then you can have a parent volunteer kind of co-op model, where sometimes, and sometimes parents want to do this, because they don't know if anybody's going to be able to do what their kids need, you know, meet their kids' needs, so they don't mind being there. And then our job is to kind of, get trained so that the parents can have some free time. But kind of do that co-op model where you take advantage of their expertise, but then move things along, train some other people, so that the parents finally feel comfortable with the child, leaving the child with someone else, and the parents could maybe go to a Sunday school class, or whatever is happening. Um, At our camp for kids with special needs, my husband always volunteers because he was a cardiac cath lab nurse for years. And the first year we served, there was a little girl there who had all sorts of heart issues and a feeding tube, and our son had had a feeding tube. So my husband was like, I can do the feedings, and I can, and the parents just had such a hard time leaving their little girl with him. The next year, he had her again, and by, after that year, the parents were willing to let Hiram help out, and they told us later, this was the first time we'd ever left our child with anyone. And it year or two later, they went on a mission trip overseas because they now felt comfortable leaving their daughter, not with our husband, but with other people. So it can take a while, but I mean, what a gift we're giving to them. Uh, We can also do some proactive planning. We can have transition information if we've got kids going from one Sunday school teacher to another one the next year, and uh, you could have the next year's teacher observe in May what's being done in the other classrooms so that they have an idea, They can uh, that the previous teacher can provide some ideas. We can also do intakes with the parents. Sometimes the parents will fill that out easily when they first attend. Some are much more reticent, and you've got to build a relationship. And then some will say, no, there's nothing wrong, and you know there's something wrong. Um, so you just kind of have to build that relationship and figure out how to be very diplomatic about approaching some of that, you know. Could you help me make your child feel more comfortable rather than what's wrong with your kid, which is never a question we should be asking. And then get parent input. One thing that can be very helpful, if you, have a, if you find out that a child you're serving has an IEP at school and it has some good, includes some modification things like, um, there was one child that came in uh, to a program and very weak muscles, but he wanted to sit on the floor with kids during story time. So the parents got them permission to look at his IEP that showed how to build a, a floor chair for this little child, and they were actually able to go in the church and look at it. They or into the school and look at it. They didn't buy the expensive model, but they had somebody who built one for them. So if you can do that and find out what the school is doing. We cannot, as outsiders, we can't look at an IEP unless the parent says you can look at the IEP, and they'll have a copy of it that they might let you look at. So that can be helpful in, you know, to find out what's working. Because if you don't have time to do it right, you'll have to find time to do it over. So the more proactive we can be about some of those things, the better. To modify your classroom, I'm going to go through this stuff really fast, uh, we can reinforce positive behavior instead of always saying don't do that, don't do that. If I notice that you're s- sitting really well, my, thank you for sitting up so straight and p- making eye contact. Do those kinds of things. And then what does every other kid in the class do? To the best they can, they'll do it. Provide opportunities for movement. Let kids get up and move around. It can be pretty easy. I mean, don't we do it with the songs all the time? Can't we do it with other stuff too? I can still remember trying to teach my son um, uh, one of the Bible verses for Awana, and we finally just got up and we made it into a chant and marched around the room and he had it down. So we can do those kinds of things. Uh, learn to read your kids so that you know when they're getting squirrely or when they're overwhelmed and they need a break. Just have those and then kind of think what could I do always have that in your mind what am I going to do if this happens and then plan activities that keep kids engaged (coughs) we all have this you know I grew up where the Sunday school teacher did everything you know and she told us what we were going to read and didn't give us a lot of choice well we can we can move that around we can read the story and have two kids acting it out we can have puppets we can do uh, you know have manipulatives we can do all sorts of things to keep the kids engaged and honestly they don't really need to do worksheets in sunday school they do it all week long and if they're a child where learning is hard worksheets are hard and you're giving them a break on sunday it's their day of rest if you don't do worksheets we can we can teach them all we have to do is introduce our kids to Jesus we don't have to have them meet IEP goals and if we keep that in mind how are we going to introduce them to Jesus so they learn to love him Uh, modify your lessons this is a picture of Katie's kids her daughter was was uh, in in the Christmas program her daughter was an angel her son couldn't read yet and he got to be a holy cow And the, there is a way in the Christmas pageant to make every kid part of it, isn't it? Isn't there? Well, if we can do it for the Christmas pageant, we can surely do it in our Sunday school rooms. Figure out a way for every kid to be a holy cow. Uh, a few ways. There's kinds of four types of lesson modifications that you can do. The first one is how we input the information. So, how are we going to give them the information? and modify it so everybody can learn it. So uh, this is where, you know, if you've got auditory Mm -hmm. learners and you read them the story, they're going to learn. But what about the visual learners? Could you also have a simple things, phonograph? Could you have a little video about it? So there's, can you have them get up and move around to it? Then you're getting visual learners, kinesthetic learners, auditory learners. Um, Do you need to have some way then When we go to output, how are you going to know they learned? Well, if everything is all about uh, you write it on a worksheet or you tell me about it, any child with a communication issue or a developmental delay is going to have trouble. So let's figure out some different output ways, and we've kind of talked about that already. I'm trying to go really fast. I'm sorry because we got out so late. And then what's your level of support? How are you going to be supporting each child in your classroom? This is called hand over hand, where when a child is young, you know, when they're learning their letters, at some point you put your hand over their hand. But you don't keep it that way. You pull back as you can. So we have to figure out what's the level of support they need to to succeed and feel like they're part of the group, and then how do we start making them as independent as possible. So it might mean that when this child first comes, they're going to have a one-on-one buddy that goes to them with, to Sunday school. Then they get to where they're comfortable within the classroom, and they only need the buddy to go with them when it's all the kids together singing songs at the beginning. And then there are going to be some kids where maybe they aren't going to be able to be integrated, and so their best level of support is to have a separate classroom but bring in a few typically abled kids to be part of that class. There's lots of ways to change that level of support. And then how are we going to make sure everybody participates? You know, what are we going to do so that everybody has a chance to be that holy cow? Whether it's there might be somebody that their job is just to hold up the sign, and there might be somebody else who, who has a few lines to say or whatever, but you can make sure everyone is participating at some level. <laughs> now. Here's an example of how we can modify. This looks like, if you've got a sensory-sensitive kid, this looks like terrible. But what if I told you that the, te- the youth leader called before youth group and explained to the, this young man what was going to be happening and asked him if he wanted to participate? And he said he did if, there was, if it, was, it was timed so that he only had to do it for this long. So right over here, we've got the person who's timing. And we've got a couple people back here watching so that if it does get to be too much for him, they can help him go to a quiet place and get him cleaned off right away. All of a the sudden, they have figured out a way for him to put, participate as fully as he can. And look, he's involved with the group. And there's a couple other kids back here who didn't want to participate, but they gave them a different job then. So, there are ways we can think ahead so that everybody can be involved. Okay, and then a couple other things, if you're working, having kids work together, this is another idea. So, they're in groups of four looking, drawing a picture or something. So, you could have one person be the timekeeper to make sure, you know, you're only going to do this for a minute or two, and you've got somebody to encourage them. This could also be the case with this young man there's somebody encouraging him and telling him, okay, the timer, timekeeper's saying you got this many seconds left, the encourager's saying keep it up, come on, keep it up, you're doing great. Um you got a reporter, somebody who's just keeping track of ideas that get generated or what kids other kids are doing to be helpful so that you can tell them about it later. And then you got a butt watcher, and that's the person who Watches for those people that say, Well, it sounds fun, but I don't think it's going to work. And because that's just a way of, of discouraging people. So, those are some ways you can kind of give out jobs. And then, whew, that was a, a sprint. Do you have any questions or anything you'd like to ask me? I know we need to go get our lunches. I know, it's just, and this is like one of, a weekend's worth of workshops that, like I can do a weekend training for volunteers and people. You know, of logistics that goes into more of this kind of stuff. So, yes. I do have a more logistical. One. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, okay. So, trying to sum this up in a quick nutshell: smaller church, don't have a ministry yet for any special needs, but i don't like someone that. Really helps out with Sunday school a lot. He has a grandson should love to brain. At school, he has a one-on-one para. How do you incorporate, like, do we need to train people to be kind of a para sort of person? That is that appropriate in a Sunday school setting? Yes. Kind
1: of- um, I mean they don't need that paraprofessional training of someone who's right. with a child six hours a day. You're talking one hour on a Sunday, right? right? And And in a small church like that, that's where you start. In any church, that's where you start. Who's coming that needs support? Start with that child, get that done. People will hear about it, families will hear about it, and you'll start getting more families. So yes, if you could find one or two people, it's really ideal to have two people that you could train to kind of be a buddy with that child within the Sunday school class. And if they're interested, you could just set up a meeting with the family and say, you know, what do we need to do? What are the things that work best at school? You know, what can we do? How can we modify that? And if you've got anybody in your um, congregation, uh, people that are really good at that are, if you've got any teachers or retired teachers, they can be very helpful. Hey, do you have any kind of speech therapist, occupational therapist, physical therapists? They can be very helpful. Does anybody else have any other ideas? Sure a nurse yeah if you've got nurses yeah yeah so any of those kind of people or somebody that just has a heart for it and that can be a good place also to get maybe some high school kids that are interested in going into education or special ed they can be good too and the reason you want to get at least two is so that they can trade off and have you know schedule themselves differently and once that happens and people watch. You know, if it's successful, you're going to get more. and You're going to get more, and you'll get more people in your church interested too. But just start with where you're at and what you've yeah. got.
0: Okay.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else?
0: What's the name of the camp in Iowa?
1: Um, it's actually held at Hidden Acres, um, in, which is the Central District Camp, and we call it the Wonderfully Made Family Camp. Okay. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and. If you, I am not on the committee this year that's setting it up because other than helping find the speakers, my mom's had a lot of health issues and I just kind of was like, I can't do one more thing well. Um, but if you contact me, I can gladly put you in contact with the, some of the people who are planning it if you want more information about that. Yeah. And it's really, it's quite a weekend. Uh, and the people, like I'm just like, Oh, I think I'm, I need a butt watcher for me because this one gets said, How about we have a carnival at the camp and we'll even get rides. And I'm like, but, but, no, they. she does it and it worked out beautifully. And yeah, because I always think of what could go wrong with my education background instead of thinking what can go right with, you know, when you've got God right there directing it. So anything else? I will be at my table. If you have more questions, feel free to contact me by, via email anytime if you want more information. Um, you know, And if I can't help you, I can probably direct you to a person who can. So
0: thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Forest Lakes District EFCA podcast. Before you go, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. By doing so, you're helping others to find and benefit from these resources. To hear more great content like this, please click subscribe. Finally, you can learn more about the FLD and the resources we have available for flourishing churches at our website, forestlakes-efca.org.